Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guest's big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now, it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we are joined today with two very special guests for our first of the month episode, March 1st. We have Steve Milo, who is the founder and CEO of VTrips, and Miriam Ramsey, who is the regional business development director of VTrips. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be on again. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So I think a lot of people know Steve, um, but I think that maybe some people don't know Miriam quite as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, so I've been with Steve since December of 2016. Um, originally, I uh, was with SmokyMountains.com uh, with David Angotti, which really got me into property management. Um, and then since then, being with Steve since 2016 um, in the Gatlinburg uh, brand of V-Trips, um, for me, I've kind of done everything from build a laundry facility um, do owner relations, acquisitions, kind of all across the board as far as in the property management world with us. So kind of have that horizon of all things property management at this point. So yeah. you, have a, you have a hat rack that's miles <laughs> long, right? Absolutely. I feel like everybody does though. If you're that's in true. property management, you can't say, you know, I really do X or to Z. It's, it's all hands on deck at all times. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I, I I got to know you probably the most to this point um, by watching the Home Runners episode that you did with Matt Landau <laughs> and yeah. getting to see the behind the scenes look from from your lens. And it was it was great. And clearly you definitely wear a lot of hats there. So uh, it's exciting to have two two different perspectives on the show today. So very excited. But before we um, you know get started with some other topics, there's been a lot going on lately. The year has started out strong, coming in hot. Um, we had the very first conference of the year that Steve and I actually just attended in Miami, the IMN short-term rental event, which was an interesting event, different than most of the VRMA style conferences that we go to where it's mostly you know, the same people, they are property property managers, they are not investors. This was a very investor um, and finance heavy type of conference. But Steve would love to get your take on the show. You were on several different panels um, and you know really made an impact there. So what did you think about it? <laughs> I, I was really amazed. I mean, I had been to so many different conferences throughout the world and I didn't know what to expect at this IMN conference. Mm -hmm. And I went there and I was looking around and I didn't really see as many people that I used to know. I saw yeah. a lot of people I, I had never met. And in the course of two days, I met so many people representing uh, funds in some cases, small funds, large funds, and some cases, multi-billion dollar funds who were all looking to get into uh, the short-term rental on the asset side. So they were looking to like, how do we buy uh, large pieces of vacation rentals. 
And then, you know, I'm sure you heard the same thing, Alex. Some of these people already had uh, vacation rentals, uh, large portfolios of vacation rentals, and they were trying to figure out, well, how do you manage these? And the <laughs> vendor hall was crawling with people who had never even thought of, oh, you mean there's software that can actually oh, help really? you do this? Oh, my <laughs> and, gosh. And, you know, one of the sessions I was at, I was I was talking to people. I said, I hope you are on more channel than just Airbnb. And I mean, people just were aghast when I said, do you have a website? And <laughs> yeah. there were people that, I mean, really? they were running these large asset funds just on Airbnb and, and not having their own website. I thought it was pretty incredible. And I was sitting down with people, um, you know, who in many cases represented funds. I, I talked to one gentleman who was, said he was representing a $12 billion asset fund out of uh, Asia. It was, it was, it was wow. stunning the different type of people there. And also the one thing that everybody was concerned about other than how do you manage this was the regulation risk. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, I know Alex was Alex, Alex went to the event and she told me kind of her perspective and um, from my perspective, I, I looked at it, it was kind of like from Marriott, like what we we do at Homes and Villas. Wasn't sure if it was an area that would benefit us, but I know some channels went and it sounds like that type of show is growing because they're, they're doing another one, if I'm not mistaken, in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, so we've considered perhaps going to that. And so do you think that that part of the industry is going to continue to grow in terms of conferences that are not, you know, not the traditional vacation rental conferences? Yeah, I think this is going to be a big area. You know, Austin, uh, 29th and 30th in Austin, Texas, June 29th and 30th is uh, kind of their annual one. And I expect there to be probably a thousand attendees. Uh, Miami was about 600. Oh, wow. And, you know, there is just a lot of money. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just constantly on the phone now with investment bankers or um, real estate development funds. And they're all trying to figure out how do we get into this? And what's exciting about this is if we can get new product, right? New inventory. You remember, um, Annie, how much inventory was built in Panama City in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And it was actually a problem. There was too much inventory right. at one point in Panama yeah. City, right? You remember yeah, that yeah, where absolutely. everybody was complaining, there's too much. We don't meet. Yep. I mean, property managers were turning away business at that point. Yep. Wow. And, and now <laughs> all that inventory has been absorbed. Yeah. 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 I yeah. was, I was in management when we had, it was not uncommon that there were three or four companies that had 2000, 3000 units under management. I know we, one company I worked for, we had about 3000 under association management and all, close to 2000 on rental. And, and we were not even the largest in the market at the time, but you know, to your point, it's been absorbed. It's been kind of chopped up into all these small little entities, but now the hotels are coming in, but there's still so much area to develop in the, in the panhandle. It's incredible. Well, it was a great show. So. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because yeah. I mean, right now the what's going on in the economy, there's so much supply that has been added to vacation rentals, short-term rentals in the last couple of years. That that's what we, we just talked about that on our um, recent episode with Revin Research about what's going on in revenue management, that there's so much more supply that, you know, we're just, we're not seeing the bookings. We're not seeing the ADRs that we were seeing. And so I, I just, I wonder what's going to happen, you know, this year as things continue down, down that path. And are we going to still see so much more investment money coming in or is, is that going to slow down because they're realizing they're not getting these, you know, the um, crazy booking <laughs> revenue that they were getting a couple of years ago. But um, what are you seeing, Steve? I mean, for ADRs in, in your market, you're in 
it's quite a, several markets. So are you seeing any trends there? Yeah. So this market by market, I actually had, a, we had a all hands uh, meeting yesterday. We do it quarterly at the trips um, and uh, next quarter, Miriam will have a part to play uh, with her <laughs> purpose built inventory that she's working on. But I talked about how um, ADRs are going to decline this year uh, versus 2022, right? So um, actually, VTrips has been um, on some conference calls with key data, talking to analysts about how proactively we've made a decision to get in front of this, uh, particularly for shoulder and off-season, and start to, to, to lower our ADRs proactively because what our focus is on occupied nights, we want occupancy. And so if we think about what happened, um, we ended 2022 ADRs versus 2021 up by 10%. And I will have to say, we did not execute well on occupied nights as much as I wanted to in 2022. So yes, ADR was up, but occupied nights were down. And I talk to the revenue management team over and over again and said, we're not going to let this happen again. Um, I, if we have to go back to 2021 numbers of ADR, which we were all very happy about, or even slightly down, the goal though, is to get those occupied nights up. Right. And um, so far, so good in terms of pacing, but I have started to hear rumblings from you know, some people that I talk to um, in other areas that, you know, they're, they're concerned, you know, some of their pacing isn't as strong. And I think the problem with where we are with the consumer cycle right now, um, you know, consumers have less um, optimism for the economy right now. And whenever there's uncertainty, or in some cases, fear, fear of a recession, uh, you know, the stock market, people perceive their wealth is down, even if it's just in a 401k, gas prices are still high, inflation is still high. So people are pessimistic and, you know, we're in a disposable um, consumer category, right? Uh, where you don't have to uh, take a vacation if you don't want to, right? It's not food, it's not housing. So, um, you know, discretionary income, um, you know, applies to vacation rentals and there's going to be a segment of people who will not take a vacation this year. And, and so what you have to do is be very, very proactive with your pricing and you have to be very dialed in to make sure that if you have a property that is starting to lag um, behind your projections, that you're on it immediately with email marketing, social media, whatever you can do to try to push that property so that you're not scrambling, you know, within 30 days and, and then lowering prices, um, which is not, not where you want to be right now. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you, you went into some good details on that on your episode with us last summer. And we'll include that in our show notes. That was our number one downloaded episode of 2022. Year, yeah. There's a lot of really good nuggets in there. But um, I think, you know, you, you've prescribed to the key data, you know, philosophy on really looking at those variance reports and looking at it at a monthly basis. And uh, it just makes sense because, you know, the more you can get ahead of something, obviously the better chances you'll have to be able to, to, to course correct. But I've had several conversations with people lately too, that I think this is going to be a year that there's going to be more homeowners out on the market, um, unhappy homeowners, because even if their company is probably doing a good job, they're going to think that their revenue is down compared to the previous year. And so they're 
they're going to go talk to other companies. It really all comes full circle because there'll be other homeowners going to you that are going to somebody else. But it's going to be interesting to to see. And I think for anybody listening, that's definitely still great advice that you gave of just really looking at that um, at a granular basis. And you have to look at it regionally by building by area, but also granularly too. And, and I think the biggest thing, and, and Miriam heard me talk on that webinar, was communicate to your owners, get in front of this, let your owners know, hey, this is our strategy. We're going to be lowering ADR. We're going to try to drive occupant, occupied nights more than last year. And you know what we're hoping to do is get your net the same, if not a little bit more. But you know, you you just have to be proactive with the communication. And some of the owners don't want to hear it. You still have to tell them. You have mm-hmm. to tell them in a nice way, right, Miriam? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, you're right. The communication key um, is, is valid across the board. Uh, so when I was over the owner department, I implemented here um, the Gallenberg market. We send an, a weekly email to the homeowners um, that the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you want to call yep. it. In that communication going through what the market is doing, you know, just saying, look, here's here's the data. This is what we are seeing, telling them a month to two months before they're looking at the middle of the year and seeing that that lower income. Look, we've had the conversation and going back to what Steve said, they don't love to hear it. However, just over communicating at this point owners is what's going to keep the the business for the divisions, especially for us. Yeah. If you're not if you're not out in front of them, then they're going to yeah. they're going to write the narrative for you and yeah. they're going to have it in their own mind right. what that is. So that's that's a really great point. And I think we've talked to other people that um, definitely subscribe to that. It's about being in front of your owner and being very communicative and, again, uh, to over communicate with them. So they don't have any questions when things come up. They again, they're not going to like everything that they hear, certainly, but it's easier to swallow that hard pill when when it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's delivered on a consistent basis and it's not a surprise that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes you look like you're so much more well-informed than if they right. were just go find a super host on Airbnb. I mean, leveraging mm-hmm. that data, you know, that's, that's a big thing. We had a, a talk just recently at, at Costco about how to explain to um, our franchisees and to their homeowners that the difference of what we do versus a super host, <laughs> that's yeah. a very big, it's a very big difference, but you know, people that are coming into this new don't necessarily know that if they've just bought a property, but Professionalization is key. We know we all know that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So um, so moving on from the show and kind of the revenue and kind of where things are 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 um moving for the year, I think there's a lot of other headlines that we might want to talk about. So kind of wanted to lean on you, Steve. I mean, you've been you're you're active, you're out there, you're talking to people. What besides ADR and, and kind of the development within the market, what do you think are some hot topics that are on people's minds that we need to make them aware of? The hottest topic right now is what's going on at Vacasa, right? Sure. So we were at the IMF conference with Alex when they announced that they were letting go 17% of their staff, mm-hmm. um, some of who were at the show. So that's not oh, good. That's unfortunate. Um, you know, and, and look, I mean, there's been uh, companies like Sonder and Amundstay that have announced layoffs and there's other companies that have been proactive at kind of tightening their belt, like V-Trips. I mean, we've been since May, you know, working uh, to gain some synergies on some of the acquisitions we've made. Why they did this and waited till January 24th uh, and did it all one time, I have no idea. I cannot understand how 
difficult this would have been letting go of 1300 people all one day. Um, just the chaos and just, it just seems like it wasn't well thought out. And, and this should have been, I mean, there was no reason they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have waited this long. So, I mean, that's just one of the issues that I've heard people talk about, which is why did they wait till January to do this? Um, then, you know, there was their third quarter earnings call where they, after raising their guidance in the second quarter uh, earning call, which was um, surprising, they had to all of a sudden lower their uh, earnings uh, by almost $20 million of guidance. Uh, they're going to lose 20 more. And, um, you know, the next, um, their, their, their quarter four will be March 15th. And of course, then they've had a lot of leadership changes, um, some which may have been planned, some which may not have been planned. Um, but seven out of eight C-level people who were in their S1 and in their, that was filed for their IPO. So seven out of eight C-level people have left Ficasa, which is incredible if you think about it. So yeah. the only C-level person that's left is uh, their, their CFO. And then I guess, um, you know, John Banzik was promoted to chief operating officer and Rob Graper was brought in as CEO. But I mean, you know, this is, you know, not a great situation because it's the one public company, um, you know, in the vacation rental sense, Resort Quest. And um, it's just a lot of bad news and, and just seemingly uh, a lot of chaos. If yeah. you had to predict what was going to happen, what do you what would you say? I mean, you know, there's so much speculation right now. And I know you follow it very closely, but I mean, what do you think is going to be? If we look back on this in a few years. What is going to be the the story that continues? Well, it's eerily similar to Resort Quest, where Resort Quest had a lot of these issues. Uh, their technology costs were out of control. In fact, there's a great white paper that Amy uh, Highnote wrote on this. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Read it. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. it's pretty amazing. Anyhow, um, their technology costs were out of control. They had uh, massive leadership churn. Uh, they couldn't control their expenses. They ended up selling to a hotel company, Gaylord, initially, and then Gaylord flipped them to Wyndham, and and that's how you know Wyndham Vacation Rentals was born. Uh, ironically, Vacasa bought window vacation rentals. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you can so point funny. back to that as the start, of the, the, start well, of the end. I don't know. They they bought Wyndham vacation rentals, but didn't keep any of the leadership. So yeah, you know, the it is just bizarre that they let go of some of the best um, executives in the industry that had you know accounted for Wyndham. And you can say, well, Wyndham was too conservative, but Wyndham was a good company, stable. Um, I think they played well in the space. I think people saw them as good competitors. Mm -hmm. And the thing that Wyndham did was they kept the local brands. Um, you know, when they went into North Carolina or, or into the Panhandle or, um, you know, Orange did Beach, Did they always Alabama. do that, though? Or did they? I thought at one point that they... They weren't doing that very early on that they were just changing them to Wyndham. I thought that that happened in it, it depended in your on the market. market. Yeah. yeah. I think it depended yeah. on the market because some of the large, large markets, I believe, like in, in the panhandle, they kind of kept the name whole. But they started here trying to switch it initially um, with yeah. one of the reports. So it was Wyndham, went to, you know, Sherwood, and then it went back. So I think it, okay. they went try to flip flop it to see, you know, let's change it, but then realized. You know, like other folks realize you can't go to a market. Steve's right. going to stop. <laughs> yeah. 
But a lot of times yeah. you can, you can purchase, you can be a large company, um, but you have to go in and keep the brand that's established there. And a yeah, lot of times we, people drop the ball there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot about how it's so important to kind of keep the brand that the market knows. And again, the thing about vacation rentals is most of these markets are drive markets. They know these brands, they're family brands. They've known them for a long time. But I mean, Steve, Steve, you know me, I, I've always tried to be the eternal optimist with Vacasa in terms of like, what the success means for the industry. And I think I've always looked at it as like, you know, I really want somebody to do it, do it right and and win for, for vacation rentals so that investors don't look at it later and go, that's not just a good sector to be in. So I don't know a lot about investment and I don't know a lot about all, all of the stuff that you certainly, you know, understand. So for me, I just look at it from probably the Miriam's, the Miriam side of the sunshine, you know, like we want everybody <laughs> to win. So, so what do you, I mean, I guess kind of to Alex's point, do you think that this is going to be a black eye in the industry or that we, as the rest of the industry, can come can be separated from what's happening. There. Or is is a hotel company going to come in and buy them? Yeah. Or you know, I mean, what what do you think? Or Steve, are you? Well, there's <laughs> yeah. there's been rumors of hotels looking at them. Look, it wouldn't surprise me if a hotel bought uh, Vacasa. Uh, one uh, fine stay was purchased by Acor, so True. it yeah, has sure. happened, yeah. and it took uh, a while for Acor to get the management team right at one fine state, but they it appears they finally have. Um, and I know, um, you know, obviously Marriott's uh, obviously working on a strategy. Hilton is uh, looking to try to get into the vacation rental sector, uh, Hyatt as well. So there's, there's some global players who it might make sense. The other aspect would be Maybe Vacasa isn't the, isn't a good public company, right? So maybe it's better to clean totally this private. up, right? So there's a lot of cleanup. Um, clearly, they need to to work on um, because I don't think they're a technology company. I think they're a technology enabled hospitality company, and that's a good company to be. But yeah. you have to you're going to probably have to take it private and go in there and clean up. Look, I mean, here's the you want the optimistic piece. They have close to $1.1 billion of revenue. There's no reason they shouldn't be making 15% margin, which would at a minimum put them in about $160 million of EBITDA. I mean, there's no reason why this company shouldn't be making a healthy amount of of income and and EBITDA, except for um, the fact that they're spending way too much money on their own technology. Well, solution, there's hosted systems um, that are out there. And I'm sure... Uh, the guesties and the TNSs of the world would love to host Vacasa um, on their system for a fraction of what they're paying their software development piece. And the second thing is the sales and marketing piece. They just, they were overspending. I mean, they had, I think close to $250 million they were spending on sales and marketing, which was mostly this organic stuff, which they weren't even effective at. So if you slash that and you slash the technology piece um, and, you know, obviously they cleared out a ton of GNA and it looks like they cleared out a lot of C-level people one way or the other. Um, you know, you should be able to get this company eventually to be profitable. But I mean, you need first culture starts at the top with the CEO. And up until it appears, Rob, they didn't even have a CEO that cared about profitability. I mean, profitability is a, is a culture. And Miriam can tell you how many times I talk about profitability. How many times was it brought up on the <laughs> webinar, Miriam? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So when people repeat themselves, I, you'll notice I, I tell it. And I was like, is he really saying this again? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But take Steve's thing and, and go back to your original question, Annie. I think for us as a large player, you know, when people see Vacasa as being one of the top and then they see Beatrice, you know, how will, you know, individual homeowners compare? You know, they don't want and that's going to be a huge thing where for us, again, is getting in front of that. And then like, look, we are not the Vacasas of the world. We are smart with the incomes that we do, the profitabilities that we are doing and the cultures that we are setting. So it all kind of ties back into one. Again, you have two large companies being ran completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say the, the one thing also is, which Vacasa has to fix is their direct business. I mean, it's down to 30% from 35% in 2020. That is not a healthy number. Um, you know, uh, VTrips ended uh, 2022 at 62% direct. And our fourth quarter was 65% direct business. And I'm very, very proud at That's great. You know, the conversion. Thank you. I mean, we've worked really hard. And yeah. Amber Carpenter, who some of you may know. Um, She's amazing. Yeah. Smart girl. A rock Smart star girl. for us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is no reason why your direct business should only be 30%. I mean, and we use OTAs, of course. But the most important thing we do is once we get a customer, we want them to keep coming back. And yeah. a healthy business starts with healthy direct business. Yeah. You know what's interesting too? We just talked to Graham Donahue uh, just a couple of days ago, and you know, Sykes Holidays. It just it was fascinating listening to him. And I mean, I think they're 80, 85 for ninety percent, eighty five direct, yeah. direct business, and they've got two hundred people in their IT and marketing department. I mean, massive, massive company, and all of their systems are uh, proprietary. They've built themselves. That makes sense when you have a very strong book direct business. And but if you're not going to have a strong book direct business, I don't know that it makes sense to have to use your all your own tech. Um, you know, speaking from experience, that that it makes sense in that in that realm. But it, it uh, it's it's interesting that they haven't really ever made as much of an effort um, on the consumer facing brand of Vacasa. And I think they're certainly well known on the B two B side, you know, for better or worse. But I don't know that the regular consumer off the street knows Vacasa as, as a hospitality brand, probably some of the people that have stayed there, but it's, it's not, hasn't picked up steam at all to be able to drive, you know, higher than if they're getting 35% direct business, that's not that much. Well, so, I think we could talk about Vacasa for days, right? Steve, yeah. <laughs> you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of insight. And I really, I yeah. really have to say you, you've done, you've done your research, you've done your homework. So we don't come at this from someone who is not, intimately familiar with the numbers and I and I appreciate the way that you present the facts. Um, you know, you you you've educated me a lot about how the businesses are run. I things that I just didn't ever want to think I wanted to know, but now I now I'm interested in and I I, I do love the the information that you share. Well, thank you. Anyone wants more information, go to my LinkedIn page. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, There's a lot of it on there. There's a lot of it on there. Yeah. Now, one thing that we are super interested to hear more about, and I know Miriam, you play a very big role in this, and this is something that Steve, you've been working on either um, in the moment or planning for, for many years, but your purpose-built vacation rental cabins that you're building in the Smoky Mountains. How exciting. We've been following on Facebook and looks like they're, 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 coming along great. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you decided to pursue, uh, pursue that side of the industry? Yeah. I called the aha moment, right? The, uh, yes, yeah. yes. So 
you know, Miriam, uh, she's on her best behavior now, but I, I used to come up and visit her and she would just go, I can't believe these owners, they won't put money back into their properties. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're being really cheap. They want them, you know, booked all the time and, you know, this stuff is falling apart. And, you know, we had so many guest service, um, guest relation issues as a result of not being able to control in some cases, the standards of our properties. And I mean, Miriam was just so frustrated and for every success story she had where she would get an owner to renovate or update, there were two or three others that were like, no, I'm probably going to sell in a couple of years. I want to put the investment in. So it ended up right after this horrible fire in Gatlinburg, um, right right when we bought the company um, that Miriam was working for, Smoky uh, Mountains, um, that I had an opportunity to buy 50 acres up in Gatlinburg um, in a half-finished resort called Smoky Cove. And I did that. And not to bore you, it took a long time to get the infrastructure. And anybody who doesn't understand mountains, the, yeah. the challenge isn't yeah. Yeah. you know the cost of the land, it's the infrastructure. So it's the roads, the cable, the electric, uh, most importantly, water and sewer. And we were not able, we weren't in the city um, perimeter. Uh, so we were in the county and, and they didn't have sewer coming in. So, you know, we had to get all that infrastructure in, cut in roads and stuff like that. But now we're at a place uh, where we're actually building and, and Miriam has been literally there every day. So I want to let Miriam talk about these 70 cabins we're building and why they're purpose built. So I think to start, I think a lot of people, you know, really question and have questions on purpose built. Um, you know, I made a post and someone was like, well, purpose built started with this with this human being, whatever. And the reality of it is purpose built is so many segments. Um, and it also depends on who's doing it and why they are doing it. You know, you can be at, do purpose building and be a realtor and buy land to purpose build. We are doing purpose build as a property management. We know what we want. You know, we get the guest feedback. Look, I work hand in hand with our guest service team, um, our operations team of going in and knowing what is easier to work on, fix. And then as far as going to housekeeping, you know, people go in and they gum the houses up. They put all this crap in there that realistically needs to be put in the trash. So for us, purpose building is all of the things, but also making it very marketable for the marketing team. Um, so for me, so it's 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 the whole concept. The purpose build is obviously, you know, the the property itself, smaller bedrooms, smaller bathrooms. You know, you don't have a huge master bathroom, smaller closets for sure, bigger living spaces. Yeah. Um, you know, studio game rooms. Um, and uh, it's, it's somewhat similar to what the hotels have been experimenting with their Moxie brand for Marriott, this, this whole concept where you pull everybody into the common areas and then um, decks, and then in our case, um, heated indoor pools. But what also it is, is the flooring. What Mary was talking about, it's like the type of flooring, the type of kitchens, can you clean it easily? Mm. You know, you don't have carpet, you have, uh, you know, different types of, uh, easy to clean, easy to maintain stuff. Um, and, and so all of this is, 
Um, and then the furnishing. That's the other thing. Sorry, Miriam. I, I forgot about <laughs> the furnishing that Miriam's picking out. You don't have all these knickknacks and stuff that owners just clutter their property up with. So right. go ahead. Well, and not only that, you look at it to a standpoint of guest damage. So what we are doing is making these homes with what guests are the top searches. So when you yeah. pull whatever you're looking for from VRBO, Airbnb to your central website, what are guests searching for? That is what we are building. That is what we're putting in the houses and and building quality properties that are going to be long-term success for us. Yeah. Are you yeah, so, oh, okay. okay, so there's in that, yeah, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about this stuff. So in that Gallenberg <laughs> Pigeon Forge Market, uh, which extends a little bit beyond Sevier County, there's about 25,000 um, vacation rentals. Um, some are professional and some are hosted. So about half are hosted, half are professional. To the best data we could pull from key data and air DNA, only 150 have private heated pools. And the ones that have private heated pools, you can rent out all year round. So it was like a no brainer to just set this up at the very beginning where every property will have a private heated pool in the community. Um, I mean, in, you know, in Florida, it's common, but in the mountains, it wasn't common. The hot tub was common. Sure. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you seeing uh, uh, the EV car chargers as an amenity that people are searching for? And are you putting those in these homes? So it's very minimal here. Um, There, we actually on our program and I can tell you from data with the owner, they were probably used three times besides when the owner drove up with them. Sure. So mm. for this market, it's just not, you know, most people that are coming here don't have those. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely market dependent for sure. But no, I think it's it's a great model what you guys are, are doing with it. And, and to have that control over the units, I think is huge. I have one important question because when I went to Gatlinburg this summer, I stayed at a cabin and there were, I understand reducing the size of the closets. I mean, you know, massive master bedroom closets are not necessary in a short term rental, but what about regular like coat closets in the, Oh, you didn't have any, right? Yeah. yeah. Had any, yeah, and Lauren Mainwell said she was like that. No, no cabins in the mountains have <laughs> closets. Cabin in this area that has a coat closet in the living room. That is so you bizarre. So when, it, when it's so cold you're and you've got snowy you're boots and coats. You're wow! Wow! Oh my How about coat so racks? Cool. <laughs> anything? Yeah. That is oh, a waste. That's what I would consider a wasted space. I'm going to shove a body in that. (laughs) Yeah, I remember Alex. I remember Alex had a, she had a, a second bedroom and she was like, we're having to put all of our stuff in the second bedroom on the bed. Yeah. yeah, there yeah. Was no closet. <laughs> and this was in the summertime. I didn't even right. have coats. It was just yeah. other things, oh I guess, but yeah. So <laughs> I had a question about the cost. So is the upfront cost to build these more than if you built a, a traditional, I mean, I'm assuming with a pool, it's a little more costly, but it, it's overall compared to building a regular cabin with the infrastructure that you have to put in, does it, is it cost you any more per square foot? Like on a, is it higher or, or average? Well, it's actually lower because we're 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 building them as a kind of a track um, okay. project. Yeah. So they're being done at scale. I mean, where sure. Miriam's, there's eleven that Miriam's working on right now, and there's five on one side of the street, six on the others. They they just go right up the ridge. 
Okay. And so the, you know, the, the contractors are pouring the foundation, going to the next one, pouring the foundation. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of economy of scale um, by doing it that way. Yeah. yeah. That makes Very sense. exciting. Makes sense. So are, are, is this something that you think that you'll replicate in other mountain destinations or even, other, I mean, beach would be, I think probably cost prohibitive to do, but I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Well, we hope to, we, we have a couple other mountain destinations that we've got some opportunities. And I mean, partly why I was at that IMN conference was talking to real estate developers um, about financing and funding. And even before this meeting, you know, this, this webinar had a, you know, a conversation with, with a group. So, um, you know, we think this is a big part of the trip story is going to be, you know, building purpose-built communities in the areas that we manage. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of different opportunities uh, that we've kind of networked our way through. Well, it's very exciting. And I think that the great thing is you're you're thinking outside the box and doing something a little different than a traditional management company would be doing. So it's exciting. And Miriam, congratulations. Love the pictures. That's just so neat to watch the progress and can't wait to get up there and see them in person. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Listen, come walk in the red clay mud with me. It's I'll, bring yeah. my, I'll bring my boots. <laughs> yeah. With our boots, not our coats. There will be where to hang them. But we uh, yeah. actually... Oh, yeah. <laughs> right right after IMN, uh, Ryan Dame and I went and drove down to the Keys and had some meetings down there. And in Key Largo, there was this big track of land that was just recently developed that was like single wide, uh, like single wides essentially, but on stilts. So, I mean, it looked like little, little, little beach homes on stilts. And there's a whole community of them. I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I would be interesting to see if those start popping up and um, doing them on the stilts obviously makes a lot of sense in the beach communities. So that, that could be a good purpose-built expansion for you at some point. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's, let's see what else, uh, Steve, we're curious, you know, you've been very active obviously for many years in the advocacy side, but in recent uh, weeks down in Texas, you've been helping them out with their coalition. Do you have any updates on that or anything you can share? Yeah. So you know, take a step back. Um, about a year ago, we entered the Texas market with uh, acquisition in Galveston with Ryson, um, a couple hundred properties uh, in, in Galveston. And then we ended up going down to Port Aransas, buying Silver Sands with a couple hundred, and then uh, Rockport with about 150. So, you know, we're at about 800 properties now in Texas. And the first thing I I was curious was, is there a state coalition? And I started talking to some of the Texas uh, property managers and they said, no, there is no organization here. And I said, well, why don't we start one? So the good news is we found the perfect chair, Sharon Walker, who uh, she's based near Austin. And, you know, that's very important because Austin is uh, the state capital and, you know, she can get there. And we formed a coalition uh, with a couple other key property managers in Texas and uh, we began to raise money. We had a big event at the Dallas Cowboy um, football training facility. Thanks to Blue Star and TNS slash track. We raised a ton of money there and we've raised money at developer um, in a group uh, down in uh, Port Aransas. And we were able to hire a lobbyist, uh, Michael Johnson, who's been a rock star. And then Tiffany Edwards has been heavily involved. She was actually on a call today with us. And we're going to have a preemption bill uh, that's going to hit. Um, in uh, the House uh, and the Senate in the near future. Uh, and uh, there's a couple other things, irons in the fire as well. So we think we have a real chance to get a preemption bill. And what a preemption bill 
similar to Florida is, is it would preempt local governments from regulating vacation rentals or at least uh, banning uh, or getting in the way of, you know, creating really severe frequencies or, um, you know, those type of things, minimum stays. Uh, that would that would eliminate their ability to do that. So we would be handled more like hotels, bed and breakfasts, timeshares, and uh, there's there's a lot of momentum right now in uh, in Texas, and uh, we're super excited. It's still early, uh, but Sharon Walker has been you know amazing. Matt Durrett is involved. He's over in uh, Fredericksburg Lake area. He's been amazing. Mm-hmm. V Lee, who's over in Houston, we've got a really good group, a really, really enthusiastic lobbyist. And, um, you know, we feel very, very good about where we are right now. I have some um, old clients that I worked with at Lexicon that are down in um, Padre Island and um, Wally and Elena Jones, and they have a company and and then they are brokers and realtors and stuff, and they've been fighting stuff down in their market as well. And then um, there's another gentleman, and I think that they're, they're trying to do something similar just in their area, but fighting hotels. And that's, so I'd love to connect them. If, if she hasn't, if Sharon hasn't talked to them, connect you guys all together. Cause I know they're having some struggles down in Padre Island. Absolutely. Sorry. And, and, me to cut you oh, no, that's, that's mm-hmm. not in South Carolina. Obviously we just, that's breaking news all over TV and the web today is, is the bill that we're, you know, we're trying to pass here um, for the state of South Carolina. And it's really interesting the conversations that I have with people about it, because I still think that there's just a lot of misinformation that we're not trying to get it so that governments can't regulate short-term rentals. It's kind of the, the, the opposite. We're trying to get it so that they can put smart regulations in place, but that they can't ban us. And, you know, a lot of the conversations I have here locally, people say, well, why would we ever ban you? And you don't know. I guess that that's probably the greatest risk. Would you agree with that? Is that why you wanted it originally in Florida? Well, in Florida, I mean, it was out of control because local governments are influenced in some cases by a very small group of people. Mostly mm-hmm. in Florida it was retired people. Those yeah, retired yeah. people were the ones who sat in the front row of every city council meeting. They're the ones who ran for office. They were the ones that would show up and do all the the work by going into the planning and zoning committee and things like that. And And the other problem is most of our owners don't live locally, so they can't even vote. So right. it's just a really unfair situation for the owners of our assets that... Um, you know, they, they don't get the tax benefits because, you know, they're not homesteaded and yet, and they're paying a lot more taxes and yet they really don't have representation. So, um, you know, we're just trying to take these decisions out of these local governments who I think have, um, abused their powers and, uh, take it to the state, uh, who I think has a much, um, better view of, you know, kind of the balance of tourism, um, property rights, uh, as well as kind of what's the best way of of managing, you know, a category like vacation rentals, which is just continues to grow. I mean, the state of Florida just reported record uh, tourism numbers and, and it's part because they're friendly to, um, you know, vacation rentals and they're friendly to tourists. And, and so you need states to protect this industry, our vacation rental industry, because it's in their best interest. 
And when you look at a state like Arizona, Arizona has preemption, right? And they still are passing regulations. I mean, you have to, in I don't know if it's all of Arizona or just in Scottsdale where Costco is headquartered, but you have to um, pass a, a the sex offender test. You have to screen all of your guests. So, I mean, this the local governments are still able to put in ordinances that regulate for the better of the community, um, but it's, it's protection against other things. And I know in Florida, I mean, you guys still have quite a few different things that you're battling with them. So it's not like this is just going to make it a free for all for states that, that jump onto it. But I just, I really believe that there's still a lot of misinformation or not misinformation, but just not enough information about it. And I think you and Tiffany and Verma Advocacy Coalition has done an exceptional job of getting that information more out to the public in the last couple of years. But it really, it takes a village. It takes everybody coming together, educating, you know, in markets like a Myrtle Beach or Panama City, where it is a mix of hotels, condo resorts and vacation rentals, and they all kind of blend, you know, making sure everybody understands what it is that we're going after, because we're wearing my, we are not Airbnb shirt. We're not, we're, we're trying to we want to protect the professionalized industry. I mean, we're not trying to make this so that anybody can rent in residential neighborhoods. That's a big question I get a lot too. Of, well, if you, they do that, then you know you can rent anywhere. No, that those areas that you're not supposed to have short-term rentals, that they will remain that way. This is not and they saying, should. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I think we also I think we also struggle with that. Um, the boom of that 75% of the pie that we always talk about that's in that, you know, I, we always joke about the get rich quick kind of guys that are putting their units on there and like, this is passive income, put it on Airbnb right. and you'll be fine. And they're not, they're not paying attention to what, you know, where they should be renting or how they should be renting. And they're just ignoring what regulations are in place. And, and those are just the bad apples that spoil the good bunches that are out there. And I think we just, we're fighting that. And that, that's a big problem in that we have to educate those people and we have to, in my mind, put them up as examples of like, this is not the way the business is run. And so people, again, to your point, Steve, I think that, you know, people that move to Florida and then come, come in and complain about tourism, I'm always just scratching my head. You know, it's just this mm -hmm. state runs off of tourism. It's really hard. And in the panhandle, we always called them againers because they would be people that would show up at every council meeting again and again with just a different gripe about something. And it was just because yeah. they had nothing better to do. They wanted to complain about the time the trash cans showed up or yeah. anything yeah. like that. So it, it's a challenge and it's not one that's going to go away. But I think, again, to Alex's point, Steve, what you guys have done with the advocacy group with Verma is nothing short of a miracle in the short amount of time that you've raised the money that you have, but you've put together a collective voice that's being heard and listened to. And that's so important. Well, speaking of which, I wanted to talk about some of the topics you might hear at a VRMA conference at the bar. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Sure. Let's do that. And that is, <laughs> we'll I be know in Kansas you're surprised. City soon. <laughs> look, at, look at Annie's face. She's like, okay, what's he going to we'll say? Be there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on pins and So I'm, uh, you know, one of the things is there really is a collaborative committee. And, and why don't people who should know better, why don't they talk about it? You know, the VRMA has a collaborative uh, committee that brings together all of the top companies in the industry. Um, it's not difficult to, to join it. You basically have to donate $10,000 a year to advocacy and you have a seat at the table and uh, we meet quarterly and, and in part to divvy up the money that um, the VRMA raises through the advocacy fund and in part to kind of talk about mutual goals. But I mean, I was on a webinar with um, a group on advocacy and one, a couple of people just were saying, 
we need to get organized. How come no one's organizing us? And I'm thinking, well, the VRMA, a nonprofit <laughs> yeah. organization, is trying. has organized everybody. And there is a collaborative committee. Um, it's just a shame that more people don't understand that the VRMA, this nonprofit organization, has done a huge amount of heavy lifting so much that I'm going to go to Europe um, in England and talk about it because they're trying to figure out how to how to be this organized in Europe. But I think we have a good person um, today who could talk a little bit about the um, collaborative and the VRMA, <laughs> and that's Alex. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I think the biggest issue is your, the problem is obscurity. I mean, that's always the biggest problem. Anything that what they're trying to do and what they are doing is great work. And we need more people to know about it and people can't support it or get involved if they don't know about it. So I think that's really and I know that's an important um, initiative for VRMA to make sure that we are out there talking about it. And this is a perfect opportunity to, and just make sure we're getting the word out because we've, we've got to have higher awareness. And I think VRMA needs to be a little bit more just overall present within some of the media, the podcasts, the different discussions, because really this is how news is shared now within our industry. I mean, a lot has changed in the last few years. We don't, we don't have VRMA, VRMA Intel, you know, the magazine that all of us prescribed to you for so long, that's, that's not as active right now. So it, there needs to be a good PR and media outreach and podcast strategy that's getting this information out. And so we're happy to do that. And we'll be talking to Kimberly with VRMA and some of the others here in the next couple of months to, to get their thoughts on it. And of course, Tiffany, but um, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm, I'm excited to see more people that are now understanding the value of joining it. I know when this first came out, you know, a lot of people thought I don't need to, why would I just donate to this fund? It has right. nothing to do with me and my community. But it's becoming much more relevant as it hits home with companies and multi-market companies that this is going to, whether it hits you now or hits you down the line, it is about protecting the industry. And it's we, we need if we want somebody to protect us, we have to protect each other, too. Agreed. And you're right. VRMA hasn't done a great job with publicity. And um, I think that's hopefully going to change. I talk to mm -hmm. Tiffany every week, Tiffany Edwards, um, and they're coming out with a Texas um economic impact study um, that's about to drop um, next week. And uh, the VRMA is going to do webinars, press releases, um, and really make this a media event. And, and the numbers are stunning how much of an economic impact to the state of Texas. And I know there's other economic impact studies that are coming out. Fair market housing studies from the VRMA are coming out, all from Oxford uh, Economics. And then the VRMA, because they raised so much money last year, is even you know giving grants to state coalitions and to local communities that are forming you know alliances, um, like uh, Tybee Island, to try to you know fight some of these bad regulations. Um, but the VRMA exists, and and so I hope more people join the VRMA. Membership is not expensive. And, and attend some of these um, conferences like the one in Kansas City that I'm going to see um, Alex at. And I'm going to participate on the collaborative committee in person there. Yeah, so I, I think um, I know I can say like for me, I had to I've sat in the the, the vendor side of, of the equation for a long time. So I know I don't have a seat at the table, a lot of these conversations, but having been at, in, on the rental side and having somebody who's incredibly passionate about this industry. I've always been very frustrated because I've tried to join committees several times and I never mm -hmm. get put on them. But the one committee that I think that really needs some more 
robust personalities and robust is, is the membership. Like we have to grow the membership so we can grow our reach and be able to get in front of more people. And I don't know what the plan is for that. Uh, I just hope that um, moving forward, you know, with Alex on the board and some of the people that are on the board, that that's something, because again, right now we're being outpaced by some of these other groups that are doing these wealth conferences and these conferences that sit in another space and they're not helping. They're not giving money to the, you know, to Virami. They're not giving money to any of these advocacy groups and they're by their lack of participation. I, I feel that they're creating some of the problems that we're facing because we're just not, we're just not a cohesive unit. And we, so we need to invite them into the association how we do that it remains to be seen, but we've got to do that. And the association needs to, you know, be reaching that 75% of the pies because right now we're, you know, 25% of the industry is, is there, but that big, large pie piece of the pie out there is just not. And, and I think that's just where so much friction comes from. And we're, yeah, we're so much more similar. Sorry, I see. I'm trying to do more outreach for the VRMA and getting them introduced and in, at events. Um, yeah. There's a SCIFT event and there's an IMN uh, event, and I'm trying to push um, people to have an advocacy piece and get people from the VRMA um, up there um, and get, you know, more, more publicity. You know, there was a book direct uh, show in, in Miami last year, and I talked about the VRMA and the advocacy and collaboration committee. And it's just getting the word out that this actually exists. Yeah. Sorry about that, Alex. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah. It, um, I think we're all more similar than we are different, right? And yeah. I think that's that's the message that I don't know that it's 100% that it's people don't want to be associated with the other side of the group. I think it's it, there's not enough connection between, and this is my personal opinion, not necessarily VRMAs, but I, I think they're... It's just, it's too siloed right now. And yeah. by bringing two organizations together and the people that are part of both organizations together, you can grow collectively because, you know, that side of the industry, the SGR Wealth Conferences and those, I mean, they serve a purpose. Are Absolutely. they trying to be advocacy people? No. I mean, like that's, that's not what they're, they're in the conference business. That's fine. But there's no, there's no reason that you can't be part of both and attend both types of shows. Or if people don't go to VRMA conferences, they may still want to be part of the advocacy fund because they're seeing what's happening in their local communities. So I think convert, you know, the convergence between the two is where there's a lot of ground to be made, but it's uh it's an education process. I mean, VRMA has of the amount of vacation rental companies within the industry, I think, I mean, it's still a small percentage that we actually have have penetrated for membership. So Absolutely. we've we've got somewhere, I mean, less than three 3,000 members, I think. And there's somewhere around 35,000 vacation rental companies, you know, in the United States. So, I mean, there's, there's a, 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 you have to look at it from the opportunistic side. There's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a lot of, <laughs> we, absolutely. We've got a lot of prospects, absolutely. but now yeah. we've got to get out there in front of them. And, and I think to your point, Steve, that's where, being at these other types of events, the IMNs, the short-term rental wealth conference. We wanted to go to that, but actually they they were sold out by the time I went to to book it. But we need to be there. You know, we we need our voice present. Yep. Yep. So is there anything else that's going to be talked out at the bar that we should be aware of? Or are you going to surprise <laughs> us? Well, because there's an Alex and Annie list, I, I thought there would be fun to have a Steve's list. I love yeah. it. <laughs> We should talk who, about some of the past honorees. Yeah, that, <laughs> oh I love gosh. it. All right. Who's on the Steve's um, list? But yeah. you can go to LinkedIn and, and read some of my articles of some of the people or companies in the past that I've put on Steve's list. But I have someone <laughs> who I sincerely want to talk to and belongs on Steve's list. And it's someone that's done a lot of good for the industry and doesn't get a lot of notoriety. Uh, 
And that's Scott Leggett. And Scott mm-hmm. Leggett yeah, is yeah. on the DRMA yeah. board of directors. He's the director of government affairs and advocacy and inhabit IQ. And Scott Leggett started off as a property manager working uh, at Outer Beaches and then um, spent a little time in LSI before they were purchased. I'm sure that was fun. And uh, now is at Inhabit IQ. And what Scott Leggett did, and I think it's going to have a profound um, positive impact for the industry, is create something called Right to Rent. And Right to Rent is this thing where uh, within uh, you know, the first was Streamline, and, and then I think LiveRes did it next, is uh, property managers can uh, agree to donate a certain amount per booking, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, to the VRMA Advocacy Fund um, every booking. And it's now been, uh, TNS is going to roll that out with track. Hostfully is doing it. Uh, companies throughout the industry are taking this on. And this money is going to the VRMA and a portion will go obviously to things like economic impact studies and fair market housing and, you know, grants and things like that. But another piece will be going to local areas uh, and state coalitions. And this was Scott Leggett's idea and dream. And he's executed it. He doesn't get a lot of credit because he's a humble guy. But I mean, I wanted to call him out and say, what a great job he's done for this industry. He, uh, I think he's retiring at the end of this term, but um, he's done an amazing job. He's, I love he's that such a that. nice person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've yeah. only met him in Patsy, but I'm glad you, I, I had a lot of customers at, at, at Lexcom that actually were part, they had that as a line item on all their rentals. I didn't know that that was, I didn't know that he put that together. So thank you for bringing that to us. I think that that's, that's important to highlight that one person has an idea that can benefit so many. That's great. And I think Annie, I told you this. At, so he's a, he's on the VRMA board, and during yeah. the um, the meeting that we just had in January in Orlando, it was so cute. He came up to me and said, "He's like, I don't listen. To, I've never listened to your podcast, but I would love to come on it. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe maybe we can send we can him this him episode, there. and yeah. we'll make sure we'll tell him you have to listen all the way to the end because there's a surprise oh, for you. But yeah, I no, would love to. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Steve, and, and would like to yeah. to have him come on. I think he's 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 well spoken and well respected, and it's a great obviously has done a lot for for the industry. So yeah, good tip on that. I think you, Steve, you had one last tip that you had mentioned you wanted to share, which I'm very interested to hear this. So, you, so the last tip is we're going to call it Steve's health tip. Uh, these actually get, <laughs> I started doing these on LinkedIn and they're I love surprisingly them. I love popular. Them, yeah. Right? yeah, they're they're just different. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've been on a kick to lose some weight. It was a new year's resolution of mine and um, I wanted to lose 15 pounds and I just did it this week. So I congratulations. Able- oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm pretty excited. Uh, and the tip I wanted to share is uh, in, you know, whether it's a Fitbit or, you know, one of these different watches, Apple's has them, you know, understand how many calories you're burning every day. Um, yeah. And then count how much you're eating. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're eating more calories than you're burning, guess what? You're going to start to gain yeah. weight. And the only way, and I, and I think there's some scary stuff going on where people are starting to work with uh, diabetes medicine to lose weight mm, and weird terrible. stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, some of the findings are showing, yeah, you could lose weight taking this, but the minute you get off of it, you, you gain the weight back. And I can't imagine that there's great you know, that there aren't side effects of taking 
medicine like diabetes and, and using it for weight loss. Um, yeah. I, I just can't imagine it's good for your body. And these fad diets have never proven to be effective long-term. The most effective thing is to figure out how to burn more calories every day than, than you eat. And, and there's two ways of doing it. One, um, eating healthier and the power of substitution, right? So, you know, I've cut out a lot of carbs and in part because I have a wife, Heather, who, you know, is really obsessed with um, healthy cooking and she's has cauliflower That's rice. And <laughs> That's good for you, Steve. And, she wants you to live a long life. Yeah, yeah all, exactly. this, all this healthy stuff. <laughs> and then portion control, right? Smaller portions. I actually eat four meals a day, um, but they're smaller portions. And, and right. I think that helps. And then last but not least, uh, if you need to lose weight, you know, increase the amount of calories that you burn every day. And you can do it by just increasing how many, you know, walking, uh, mm-hmm. taking stairs instead of elevators. Um, some people say, well, you know, what's hard. I mean, you can get on a treadmill and you can take a phone call or a zoom conference. I mean, you know, I've been doing it, uh, while I've been in, in Miami and I mean, it's amazing what you can do and, and still burn a ton of calories just by walking or getting on a treadmill. And those treadmills can be effective, particularly if you increase the intensity a little. So, you know, my tip is if you want to, you know, come up with something that isn't like a a fast way, quick way, like these diabetes medicine that people are taking, particularly in Los Angeles, you know, look at how many calories you're, you're, you're burning and then figure out how to either eat less or how to burn more calories. And that will allow you to lose more weight and, and you'll feel healthier. Your, your mental state will be better. And, um, you know, your body is so important for you to be productive as an employee. So, and I know Miriam, uh, she's, she's no longer allowed to give me deep fried Twinkies. I, I told her. <laughs> deep fried no Twinkies. I didn't even, that's a real thing. I always hear about that. Like, I didn't know it was real. Yeah, probably in Myrtle Beach and in Gatlinburg, probably. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, Steve, that's a great tip. And, you know, when we were in Miami, I remember you, you mentioned that and Heather said that, yeah, you know, Steve gets how many, like 20,000 steps a day. Well, my target, uh, and, and I don't know if I'll be able to sustain it has been to burn 5,000 calories uh, a day. And that means about 40,000 steps. 40,000. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Well, I did, I have taken something back from just when we were in Miami. So now that I'm working from home, when I have a call that I don't need to be in front of my computer, I do, I go, I walk to the end of the street and I take the call and it's actually, I mean, not only is it good for you physically, but it's nice to get, yeah, mentally to get that kind of break and experience when you are working from home. So um, that's a great tip. And I think our audience will, will, Enjoy like that. <laughs> Appreciate that. And you've officially become our most well-rounded guest. So yeah, I was gonna say this is everything wait. under the kitchen yeah, sink today. Is, <laughs> it's gonna be hard to top. So you'll be back with us two more times, is it? Three times? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm excited. hoping we'll have good news from Texas. I'm thinking if we have good news from Texas, I'll bring in someone who's been part of the Texas awesome, uh, you know, deal. So we're crossing our fingers. We still have a long ways to go, but we're just hoping that we can get some form of preemption to protect the state of Texas 
And hopefully that can, you know, be something that we replicate in some of the other states. So to me, I've said it all along. It's not enough just to go on the defense to fight these regulations. We have to go on the offense. We have to go to the state. We have to protect our industry and is so critical to the success and the future of this industry that we protect it. And that's what I'm on a mission to do. Well, you're doing a phenomenal job and having someone like Tiffany. And then we met Sharon actually at Verma in Vegas and what a like spitfire she is. So I think that you've got two really amazing women that are, that are heading it up. And then of course you being, being along with it, there's the sky's the limit. You're going to, I think you're going to make it happen. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's going to be a good year. And I'm excited that you're joining us and we're going to have you back in uh, June and September this year for other Steve's first of the month episodes where you'll be on as a guest and maybe you'll bring Miriam back or you might have somebody else. We'll we'll wait and see what you surprise (laughs) us with. But um, it was a pleasure to have both of you here today and we wish you nothing but but luck for the rest of this year. And we will see you soon at at VRMA and and upcoming events. But in the meantime, uh, Miriam, if anybody wants to reach out to you, What's the easiest way to get in touch? Um, Miriam.ramsey at Matrix. All right. Well, perfect. We'll include that. (laughs) Yep. And Steve, Steve, are you Steve.milo at Matrix or just? Yeah, Steve.milo at Matrix. All right. And we'll include your LinkedIn profile for sure, both of y'all's, but yes. <laughs> we'll include those in the show notes. But thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you'd like to contact Annie and I, you can go to alexandannypodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, we would love to hear from you. Leave us a review on whichever podcast app that you listen to. And until next time, thank you so much for tuning in for the <laughs> March 1st of the month bonus episode. And we will see you next month. <laughs>